the theme that has kind of come up for me is that it's an educational and supportive space for people to become more conscious livers. Welcome, you're listening to The Toxic Fox Show. This podcast is a show for conscious business owners that give a damn. And the show is kindly made possible by sevencanaries.com.au, another business that gives a damn about health, sustainability, transparency, and specifically, no nasties in products. And I'm Diana Barnett, your host, and today I'm chatting with Alex Stewart from alexstewart.com. Her passion is about helping people create low-tox lifestyles. She's a speaker, author, motivator, and someone who loves to help people, as she put it to me. I'm intrigued by Alex's ability to build her community, and at the time of recording, her total social media following was around 55,000, and of a lot of it was quite engaged. So let's head over to the interview. I started asking Alex if she could choose one person to be her mentor, who would it be? Ooh, to be my mentor, one person in the whole wide world. They can be alive or dead. I'd be John Lennon then, yeah. Okay, and why is that? Because he had a complete disregard for what other people thought of him. He just wanted to explore life and continue to update his version of what doing your best looked like. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as he moved from music to activism, I just I just really appreciate his, uh, his strength and his outspokenness in a time where it was very unfashionable to be so and, uh, and uh, to go against the status quo. He's someone that gives me strength in a re- weird way. Now, if we just go into my reason for asking you to come on the show mm-hmm. is to explore your journey through being a conscious business owner yeah and helping others can you tell us where you've come from and what your business is now absolutely so I've had an interesting uh 20 years of career so far I started out in cosmetics uh during and after uni because I didn't really know what I wanted to do after European political science and modern languages um I found out the first few years that you were a diplomat you essentially had to be in seriously dangerous countries and that put me off the whole thing so (laughs) cosmetics was the natural choice, it seemed. Um, And I I rose uh, quite quickly um, through management, ended up looking after a small region, the French Pacific, and um, I enjoyed it. But there was something that was just starting to repel me um, from it. And it was was almost something kind of like a a driving force that I had no control over. I found it petty. I found it too small-minded. I found, you know, everything just started to be unimportant mm-hmm. uh, that we were working so hard on uh, and and I had a number of health issues. Now, I hadn't connected the two at all at the time, but literally from the day I left cosmetics, I no longer had a migraine problem. Um, wow. And that's something that still I did not make the connection on at the time. It's only now in my lo- knowledge that I look back and I think, yeah, it was literally... As soon as you left that industry, you you weren't sick anymore. That's bizarre. So, um, so I left cosmetics, had a quarter life crisis, left the boy, left the job, left everything, and decided to sing in nightclubs because I was a singer through school and uni. Yep. 
and um, and singing in nightclubs seemed like a fantastic antidote to all this serious career business that I had been plunged into really young in life. Yeah. Uh, and uh, But, of course, singing in nightclubs doesn't earn you oodles of cash, so I started bartending and then actually fell in love with hospitality. I loved creating drinks and talking to people and taking people on flavour adventures and I, I found it quite exciting. So I ended up in hospitality for uh, six, seven, eight years and, um, and became, uh, strangely, Australia's best female bartender. <laughs> it's quite funny to think that. But um, I was the gourmet traveller drinks expert for many years and did a lot of demos with um, the lovely Anthea, the editor, and uh, worked on a few drinks shoots seasonally um, over the years. So that was a really great experience. It was beautiful. Um, but again, something about it just started to make me feel like it was all a bit petty. Uh, and uh, I remember then moving into consulting in hospitality, some of which I still do, um, where I didn't want to teach people about cocktails or how to make cocktails or how to balance a drink properly. I didn't want to teach anybody any of that. I was gravitating more towards um, culture and team cohesion and uh, how to work as a management team to get the best out of your staff and how to make a guest feel like a million dollars. It was all the psychology stuff that was much more interesting to me. Did you do any formal studies with that or you just went straight into it because it was in a no, I was in eight. It's definitely if the, if I can look at one skill that I have that I've always had, it is influencing people from going from the place that they are to opening their eyes and taking them to another place. Mm-hmm. I love the transformation journey, uh, and it's something I've always been a bit nerdy and into about. Um, so once I uh, was consulting, I had started a bit of a luxury events business. I had a small baby. Events were a really good way to just work full on for three days and then nothing for a month. You know, it was quite um, convenient. But it very, very quickly became apparent to me as I got to know myself and got a bit older in my mid, early to mid-30s um, that, again, you're talking about whether we're going to do the strawberry macarons or the chocolate macarons for some corporate event was, again, just so petty so small-minded I just couldn't be there it's absolutely no offense to anyone who wants to be in that space everyone should feel like the work they do has meaning but it just did not feel like it had meaning for me and uh and so I had been writing a little bit because I'd started researching the food system and toxins and really getting to know for myself um healing myself from PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and chronic tonsillitis. Can I just put you one whole bit there? You started, you just did this big leap to starting to research. So, what was the pivot? Was it this PCOS, or was it something else? Yeah, it's just being really sick. Often, I think, um, just being sick of being sick, quite literally, and thinking there's got to be a better way. And I remember in my little flat in Bondi, I had a bottle of water next to me because I was on the fourth round of really hardcore antibiotics for tonsillitis and I was spitting into this bottle because I couldn't actually bear the idea of swallowing and I was so sick and I had such a big fever and I just thought there's got to be a different way to do this there has to be I've got to be doing this wrong there's got to be some knowledge out there that I just don't have Mm -hmm. to, to do things better so I don't get sick like this and uh and the final kind of 
I don't want to say nail in the coffin because it's not that. The final kind of light bulb, I guess, was when I had my son and coming to a time when I had to feed him and thinking there's this pure, beautiful little body. I don't want to corrupt him in any way. I just started to become so curious in what was in everything. Literally overnight in a supermarket aisle just went, oh, my God, what is that? And Why does apple need to be in a chicken dish? You know, why are we sweetening everything and why are we um, putting all these processing? Why are we feeding our kids out of plastic pouches? None of it made sense. All of a sudden, none of it made sense. And to make sense of it, while I was doing my events business, I just started a little, um, uh, just a little hobby blog, if you like. It wasn't alexstewart.com back then. It was about five years ago. And and uh, I was just researching and writing little pieces and recipes for my friends. Um, and, and over time, it just became evident that every Every time I sat down to do work on that, I didn't want to do any work on anything else. And it became harder and harder to focus on anything else except for the culture stuff. You know, I really still enjoyed that because it was um, satisfying me from the psychological perspective. Um, yeah, so I launched alexstewart.com beginning of 2012, nearly three years ago. Mm. So you've gone from being in cosmetics to being a singer to being mm-hmm. a bartender, yeah, and Australia and writing for Gourmet Traveler, uh, Traveler about cocktails, yeah, that's right, and then event management and culture, yeah, that's right, and now into AlexStewart.com, yes. So, tell me about AlexStewart.com. Okay, so it's basically my site and I struggled with the idea of making it a brand name and, you know, it still might become a brand name because actually now that I've been going for a few years, I can see quite clearly what the overarching uh, message is of everything that I write about, but um, I I won't tell you too much about that just now. Uh, Suffice it to say that it became me because I didn't want restriction about what I was going to write about. Yep. I wanted to know that I could write about something philosophical one day, put up a recipe the next, uh, do some expose on what's in toxic um, raspberry jelly at the supermarket, uh, you know, and really write about all sorts of different things. So having a personal blog really gave me the freedom to make sure I spent a lot of time exploring what within that freedom was were any overarching kind of themes. And the theme that has kind of come up for me is... Uh, is that it's an educational and supportive space for people to become more conscious livers. So, and that can be about what you put on or in your skin and it can also be what goes on inside your head. Mm-hmm. So would you call yourself a blogger? Yeah, definitely. And is that your prime area of business or yes. is it? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So... If I'm a, a conscious business owner, how, how, how do you make money out of being a blogger? Well, there are a number of ways that people make money out of being a blogger. I'm not a really salesy type. I spent a lot of time actually doing it as a, funnily enough, not-for-profit um, at all, uh, really just, um, just making sure I had a really clear idea on how I could definitely help people. Mm-hmm. And um, and once I got really comfortable with that, I wrote a book. Then I felt comfortable actually selling something. Um, I think a lot of people start blogs to, you know, get to that whole six-figure quick and do this 
course, you know, and that kind of doesn't gel with me. I'm a much more organic person in the way that it's worked for me, which is let me just start this thing. Let me just start writing. Let me see who cares. Let me see how I connect with people, whether I'm a value in this space and then start to build some products. Um, You know, Seth Godin, a famous marketing writer um, and all-round guru of mine, uh, is is someone who talks about creating products for your customers instead of finding customers for your products. And by that he means once you've got customers, once you've got a tribe, once you've got a bunch of people that really get what you're about and trust you and understand that you want the best for everybody in that tribe, then you can create products for them and it's effortless. Whereas if you use the old model, which is here by my amazing product and I will blast you on TV and I will blast you with a billboard and I will blast you on the radio, come buy my product, there's never going to be the authenticity in that style of selling to people as there is in selling to your tribe and really starting to figure out who your tribe is and what they, um, what they want from you what they need help with. So how does somebody go about building their tribe? How would you, or two things you'd advise them to do? I'd say the absolute number one thing is that you run out of juice pretty fast if the way you've said that you're going to help people is something that is not directly in line with your values and the fire in your belly. Um, So... I can only liken it to my own experience, which was the knee-jerk reaction of starting a luxury events business because I simply had the skills to do it. There was never a fire in my belly for it. It was just a good business plan. I never found it easy to find customers because I was barking at them about features and benefits. And I didn't particularly love the group of people that suited that product in terms of helping them with that product. Uh, so it was never, it was always going to be pushing poo uphill, that sort of a business, yep. because it wasn't in line with my values and it wasn't in line with my uh, my direct, the fire in my belly, the way I want to help people in life. I think if you're always helping people, then you will have success because if you help successfully, that is success. And then if you start to attach products around that ability to help people, then you also have financial success. It's actually incredibly simple. Um, so get super clear. Number one is on how you love to help people. Um, and number two, get super clear on who you're trying to help. Uh, another one from Seth Godin, I, I, I say it because I just think he's, he explains things so simply, which is people like us do things like this and don't be afraid to call out who the people are that you're doing things like. And, mm-hmm. and it's okay if that's not everybody. That's absolutely fine. I get people drop in and out every now and then who kind of make some strange trollish comment and, and the old me might have been really sad about that or upset by that and dreamt about it at night. But now I'm like, you're not like us and that's okay. Off you pop. You know, I'm not going to add fire to that. I'm not going to give you any attention because you're not people like us doing things like this. And, uh, and so that would be my number two. Not, don't be afraid of the fact that your business is not going to be helping everybody. So if you're saying that, uh, and I, I totally understand it and get that, and if you go back onto the old-fashioned model of features and benefits, mm. what, what language will you use 
that's not features and benefits? Where is your focus if it's not features and benefits? My focus is looking at the people in my community and if you're just starting out, that might be 50 people. Mm-hmm. Um, now for me it's 50,000 if you count all the channels. And uh, But once upon a time it was 50 people. So back when it was 50 people, uh, what am I talking Yeah, so when it was 50 people, I would just talk to them. I would say, you know, what are your challenges? Are you finding that kids are getting in the way of a well-cooked meal at night do you need help around efficiency in the kitchen we would talk a lot and we still talk now even though it's a bit diluted because it's a lot more people I make sure that I'm front and center with my customers because they're the people I'm trying to help and if you aren't asking questions and aren't getting feedback um then uh then you it's going to be very hard to create products because you don't actually know whether they need them or not. Does that make sense? Yep, no, that makes total sense. Mm. So if you're looking at that and you're looking at the ways to, to use social media to engage them, what sort of social media has worked for you? Mm. So Facebook is probably my most successful channel um, and a lot of people say that's the hardest channel but I truly believe that if you are obsessed with how to help the people who are in your Facebook space, they will be looking out for your comments. They will be liking your comments almost as a reward for the fact that you're giving them content that helps them in their lives. You will never have a problem with engagement if you stay obsessed with how you can help. Um, I truly believe that. Twitter, I use a little. That's more my kind of expert channel. So that's where I have nerdy discussions on things like genetically modified foods, on uh, petitions, on um, political food system topics. I probably don't go too far into that on Facebook. That's more like industry to industry, B2B Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And then uh, my... My, in, my email list, I say, would be the third. Right. Mm. So do you find that you have many that cross over between your email and your, um, your nerdy ones <laughs> and your Facebook, your Twitter and your Facebook? I think you're always going to have a group of core fans who want a piece of you across all channels. Yep. Um, and because I know that there are certain people that I follow, like Seth or like my friend Bernadette Jiwa from Story of Telling, um, who's an amazing one to follow for any conscious business person, um, like uh, my friend M Isaacs, who's the CEO of Business Chicks. There are certain people who just add so much value and have such beautiful energies that I would follow them across a number of channels. Um, but then that's just going to be your core, core people. Outside of that, there are people who probably just prefer to dabble in Facebook and that's where they hang out and they don't even have a Twitter account and vice versa. So it really just depends. But you will tend to have a core um, sort of 5% who hang out with you everywhere. How much of your day would you spend on social media? Probably about an hour and a half. And do you schedule that in at any particular time or you just do it whenever suits? No, I honestly do it whenever. If I'm running an e-course... I will try to stick to one hour in the morning, one hour in the afternoon um, so that it's really scheduled and they know that they can expect me and questions start to come around that time and, um, you know, you can almost sort of train so that you get that space to yourself to be quiet. 
yep. in yourself and not have noise and notifications going off everywhere like a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. But I find that sometimes I get sucked into, um, I think someone called it the, um, the squirrels. You find you're going off into different areas all the time. Oh, absolutely. The internet is an absolute abyss. Um, it's really important um, and I'm still very much a student in this area to uh, disconnect at least for a couple of hours in your workday so that you're not just being reactive mm. and being proactive and making time to strategize and yeah so important. You're listening to The Toxic Fox Show and I'm having a conversation with Alex Stewart from alexstewart.com. How do you balance work with your personal... Because you're you're building a person... alexstewart.com is you. Mm. It's your business. Mm. So how do you balance that to be successful... In your, you know, within yourself as a person as well as to be a business? Um, I mean, it's not quite work-life balance, but it's a yeah, long... Yeah, and, you know, I don't really love work-life balance because I think if you get it right, work is an integrated part in your whole life and you kind of dip in and out and, and everywhere you go in your life is a fun place to be, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Whereas yep. work-life balance to me was kind of almost created for corporates who need to make sure that they have, in inverted commas, fun um, and relax. But I find my work incredibly relaxing and energising. So uh, it's almost, it's bio-individual work-life balance, let's call it that. It is different for every person depending on what they do. You know, if I lost everything tomorrow and all I could do was um, be a cleaner, then I would do that with pride and I would make sure that, yes, I worked eight to nine hours a day maximum and I had plenty of time for myself. But doing what I do, if I'm running an e-course, that's that's quite a full-on time for me and that's um, – but that's every second of that I'm loving. Mm-hmm. And I know that I'll probably go away somewhere for a long weekend afterwards and rejuvenate and book a little massage and, you know, it's, it's, it's about being conscious about what you need And just checking in with yourself, I think, um, as to what's sitting right with you and if something's not sitting right to address it. Uh, I know for me I get kind of adrenally charged if something's not sitting right where I really, like, I feel like I'm eating and I can't even, I can't even just take a deep breath up between mouthfuls and I can't, um, I can't get to a place where my breathing relaxes or where I can switch my mind off with a bit of meditation, then I know it's that old Confucius say, if you don't have 20 minutes to meditate, make sure you take an hour Um, (laughs) because you're the one who needs it more than anyone. And, uh, and yeah, so it's a consciousness thing. I, I, I don't need, I don't, feel like I need to balance things and be prescriptive about eight hours on, five hours off, sleep eight hours, because that just simply does not work for an entrepreneur. Um, I think you just have to stay really conscious about how you're feeling and address things at the baby steps level when things just pop up rather than ignoring stuff and then having a health issue. So if you go into that adrenal and you you realise that things are going wrong, what do you do? I lie down on the couch. <laughs> I put two um, two cushions under my feet so that my legs are raised slightly higher than heart level. 
and I just lie there and just breathe. You don't have to sleep or anything. Um, but I do tend to put on like my favorite music, something really beautiful and soothing and just breathe, just chill out. And honestly, uh, it's studies have actually proven that you get 90% adrenal recovery. If you do that somewhere between 11 and two in the daytime. So if I've got a particularly busy day, then that will be 20 minutes that I'll carve out for myself to do that. Every day? No, no, probably once or twice a week I'll need it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. It's better than any medication you could take for being too hyper. I will take that on board. Yeah, do. I got that from my naturopath. It's just a brilliant little thing to do. So you've, you've come to where you are. What have you learnt that you would do differently along the way to get to where you are? Um, I think I would have... Uh, for me, it's financial. I'm, I'm a real novice at finance. I'm just terrible at money, no money education, a creative, a, a singer, a dancer, a musician, uh, you know, and those things just weren't um, innate in me to seek knowledge out in. And it, what I would do differently and what I will certainly be making my gorgeous child do if he's creatively minded too is um, a business component to school and to university or college um, for the simple fact that if you are creative and you do have ideas, having finance and business behind you just allows you to make the actioning of those ideas a lot more powerful. And I really felt like um, it's it's probably cost me a little bit of time in progress, I guess, mm-hmm. to have to acquire those skills in my late 30s. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely. And also... Um, saving, saving 10% of everything you earn all the time. You don't even have it. It's not even yours. So that when you do want to action something and make it really powerful and make a splash, then you can, you've got the capital. You don't have to go and say, oh, but I've got no money for my idea or, you know, I've got all these ideas, but no money. You know, I think that's just so sad. And with just a few tools like that, um, it's, it's something that I would have been a lot further, a lot faster to be honest, yeah. Yep. Okay, so getting good business skills is important. What has worked for you really well in your business? What has worked for me really well? You know, I think taking that time to prove that you don't want anything out of this other than to help people gives you just such a great authentic boost yeah, I, I certainly did not start out writing from day one thinking what's in it for me. It was really well and truly in a place, coming from a place of wanting to give, wanting to share, wanting to teach, wanting to help. And I think you can do that. Even if you've got a commercial product, you can go in with that attitude from day one. Um, and, and, and I know you can see the brands that Look at Who Gives a Crap Toilet Paper, one of my favourite brands. Um, You know, they wanted to help. They said from the outset, we are giving 50% away of our profits to fund clean water toilet projects in developing countries. Um, You know, more people in Brazil have a mobile phone than a toilet. And, like, you know, and so to to start out that, that first day, I just... I know it worked for me to just come from that place of wanting to help. Products will come later. Let's just build the tribe. Um, and and I think brands that come out of wanting to help, you can see them. The business chicks 
there's always a, a charitable cause that's linked to their events. There's always how can we be better humans, not just how much money can we make from our customers with our event. Um, I, I, I just think there are so many great examples now where um, uh, profit and purpose together are the, probably the greatest combination because your drive is sustainable because you earn the money that you need to live, to have a nice place to live and to make choices for the kids as they grow up and all those sorts of things. So you're not worried and you don't become one of those bitter activists yes. <laughs> who, who, um, who hates money and hates people. It's taken me years to get over that. Oh, my God. I'm just, um, yeah, it's it's... So, yeah, the thing that's worked for me the best is to realise that the most powerful thing you can do in business is be obsessed with um, how you can directly help people. Well, there's one last question that I would like to ask that um, one of our listeners, Sevista Licker from Baby Bistro. Oh, yeah, uh, I love the brand, yeah. She asked me if there was, if you were to give someone a, some piece of advice, one or two pieces, maybe three, yeah. <laughs> to help them on their way, yeah. to having a healthier life, uh-huh. what would it be? Okay. So number one for me would be to look at what you're putting inside you and look at what you're putting on you. Our skin is our largest organ and you can put a drop of lavender oil on your arm and it will show up with a liver reaction, a good one in this case, um, unless you're allergic to lavender, unfortunately, but it literally transposes to your liver within 20 minutes. So think about all those chemicals that we're putting on our skin day in, day out. Our liver is dealing with those nonstop around the clock. Same with the chemicals we're putting inside us from pesticides, from genetically modified foods, from uh, packaging uh, of foods, all of that stuff our body's trying to make sense of. Now, um, for me, with the state of health uh, in, um, in the world today, the number one thing you can do is to go against the status quo, which is to eat conveniently and to eat fast and to find cheap and to just go back to nature. Mm -hmm. In any way possible, go back to nature with what you put on and in you. Second tip is detox your mind and literally schedule in time every single day to detox your mind. By that I mean remove negative thoughts, useless thoughts, repetitive thoughts around decisions you have to make, swimming around, you know, get empty your mind in any way you can with things that aren't positively impacting you. Um, for me, a great thing you can do is to literally just make a list of a few small things that if you've noticed anything like I've got to pay the electricity bill, I mean, most people do these things automatically these days, but just say it's a bill that you actually have to consciously pay and you've had it pop into your head five times. Please, by the second time, sit down and pay it. Actually just let it out of your head. Yep. A hilarious example I like to give is I used to toss up about whether I would clean the frying pan of um, scrambled eggs before I dropped the little man off from kindy or whether I'd do it when I got home. That is a five-second exercise that I also matched with five seconds of thinking about and still not doing it. 
if you know what I mean. Definitely. I can relate. Ah, so if you start to just look at the repetitive thoughts you have and bring those up to consciousness and, um, and remove them slowly over time, it is a, a habit that you have to form. It takes a little while. Um, then start doing it. Anywhere that you can make a decision and act immediately, start doing it. And that also goes for something simple like being out to dinner and you've got a beautiful menu in front of you and you see that they do your favourite thing, duck. Stop looking at the menu. You've seen the duck, put it down. You know, you know you're going to order it anyway, so why deliberate over all the other options if you know your brain is always going to come back to what your favourite thing is that you might not cook for yourself at home, so when you see it, when you're out, you always get it. It's all those things that we give our brain real estate space in that it literally wear us down. No wonder we don't have any energy to fulfill our dreams when we're spending minutes at a time deliberating a menu item and wondering when we're going to clean a frying pan. I mean, it's actually quite crazy when you look at that. Very crazy. It's funny. I use the same things on my kids, you know, and I say that sort of stuff to them, and yet I don't always apply it to myself. Mm, it's hard. It's really something you have to be super conscious of, I think, and, um, and work on over time. And then to rid yourself of negative thoughts, to simply just be affirmative as a person, to start today, as soon as you have a negative thought about a person, why don't you think about something really lovely about that person? Um, that works really well for your partner. You know, we're supposed to be with the same person for 40 years. It's quite hard if you let that you let yourself go into negative land to repair stuff. So to just look at your partner and say, God, you're amazing with our son and God, you're so helpful with X, Y, Z. And I really appreciate, you know, to just think affirmative thoughts about things that you might be thinking negatively about. That would be my second part two of the toxic mind tip. And second and thirdly, I will give three tips. You were so right. <laughs> myself. That's my pleasure. Go ahead. <laughs> um, is to get earthed. I talked about going back to nature however possible you can with what you put on and in you. Same goes with what you put your feet on. The astounding anti-inflammatory evidence for grounding your bare feet with either sand or soil or grass uh, is actually incredible. In my 30 Days to Your Low Tops Life program, I talk um, to the beautiful Marty Zucker, who is the author of best-selling uh, US book, Earthing. And uh, I think the byline for it is the greatest discovery of our time. And I, I joked with him and I said, isn't it hilarious that the greatest discovery of our time is something that we were doing for like thousands of years before we invented shoes um, so no wonder we always felt connected with nature. And it, it's if we use technology a lot and if we use electricity a lot around us, lots of appliances and all these things, earthing can actually reset your body's energy back in sync with the earth. And people with arthritis, people with any kind of vague inflammatory uh, diseases like fibromyalgia have really reported some incredible benefits from just taking off your shoes. It just takes 10 minutes and doing that once a day if you possibly can. Your time is much appreciated, I can tell you, and I've loved talking to you. Yay. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Throughout our chat, Alex's passion and clarity of purpose were standouts to me. 
and those little tips she dropped throughout the interview are simple to adopt and will make a difference. I'd like to hear what you got from the discussion. Three takeouts I identified were, one, be obsessed about knowing who your tribe is. Communicate, listen, communicate and listen to what they have to say. Two, if you're a profit with purpose business, you're on the right track because the greatest business combination is profit and purpose. Three, understand your figures and numbers and always be on top of them. Lastly, when you're thinking of your tribe or you receive trollish comments, remember the reference to Seth Godin. People like us do things like us and don't be afraid to focus on your niche. Now, I'd love you to head over to the toxicfoxshow.com, look for episode number four and leave a comment in the show notes and hit us up on this Instagram or Twitter at The Toxic Fox Show. There's plenty coming up over the next few weeks as I interview awesome conscious business owners. And in episode number five, I'll be speaking with Carolyn Chambers, founder of 40.com. A big thank you to Seven Canaries for making this possible. Another thank you to Vince Jones for the use of his song, Old Mother Earth Knows. A thank you to the team for helping me pull this together. And finally, a thank you to you for listening. Until next week, may your business continue to be a business that gives a damn.